Welcome to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. You know, in the middle of the pandemic, you may have recalled that I did a series of three episodes focusing on the digital workplace trends in Australia. And you know, I thought it would be a great time to return to the ANZ region and see what's going on with the digital workplace trends. So what's hot, what might be of interest, actually even what might be, uh, if there's some trends going on that might be of interest in the rest of the world. And to help me with that, I have two great guests. One of the esteemed partners at Beaconfield Partners, Mr. Tom Riley, and a colleague of mine, Dr. Tony Parsons, the Senior Director of Service Management here at Unisys. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Weston. Great to be here. Thanks, Weston. Yeah, it's great to be here. So, Tom, I mean, the first thing I think our listeners have noticed, even with that hello, that short hello, I think we need to address this before we uh, go a little bit further. That's right. We're asking you to talk about what's going on in Australia. But, man, I'm hearing a distinct U.S. accent. So what is your background oh, yeah. in the APAC region? Yeah, don't don't let the uh, the accent throw you. I'm, you know, I, I've been out of New York for a long time, but I, but still uh, have the accent. I've been in Australia. Well, I've been in Asia Pac since '97, and always working in tech services in Australia during that period. And then I've been in my family is Australian. My wife's Australian. I'm a I'm a dual citizen, but I've really been working in uh, technology in Australia for the last thirty years. So the the accent does throw people from time to time, and I get that look, especially when I'm speaking to an Australian audience. So I typically have to explain it <laughs> every time, probably right. Well, thanks, thanks, thanks for clarifying that and glad to get that out of the way first. Let's just jump right into this topic. I mean, maybe Tom, I can start with you. What is it that you're seeing in, in terms of requirements, maybe uh, that's unique in the ANZ region, maybe with government agencies or enterprises, especially when they're thinking about a digital workplace? What makes ANZ unique? Where I think there are some really unique challenges here is, you know, just the, you know, the size of Australia and the population. So, you know, we quite a kind of joke about the tyranny of distance and how far away Australia is from the rest of the world. But you know, there's kind of a new tyranny of distance, which is that Australia is almost the same size as the US, just to put it in perspective. And it has one tenth or one twelfth the population. So you're you're talking about a much, much bigger piece of geography to cover when you're supporting people. And, you know, when when that translates into our customers, we do a lot of work with the governments, with the state governments. You know, they have an enormous area to cover uh, when they're supporting their their staff. So there there are still those rising expectations, but there are some major hurdles in achieving them. You know, I think that's one. There's there's a few other differences, but that's probably the main one, Weston. Yeah, and I can just you know, as we were talking earlier before we started the recording, you being in Melbourne. And Tony being in Sydney and how, you know, helping me appreciate how far apart that is, you know, thousand kilometers, eight, nine hours of, of driving, that kind of does highlight it. Now, maybe Tony, I'm going to do the flip side with you here. When I hear Tom, you describing these requirements and what makes uh, ANZ unique, I'm thinking now about challenges. What might be some of the challenges that uh, you're seeing in Australia regarding the workplace? And probably I'd like to compare that against, you know, what I'm seeing here in the United States. So, I'm curious, does, does ANZ face any of the same problems as enterprises that we have here in North America, Tony? Weston, I, I think they do. Australia and New Zealand went through the uh, pandemic in the same way that North America and Europe went through it. So we've got that challenge of the workforce settling back into a hybrid work uh, workplace environment. 
working from home combined with working in the office. And also, Australia and New Zealand's got that aging workforce that's looking to uh, retire soon. And the challenge with that is that workforce with a lot of operational knowledge around a lot of these uh, key legacy systems, they're going to take that knowledge with them as they start retiring, as they start uh, planning to go out uh, sailing on City Harbour and not coming into the office anymore. That capturing that knowledge, storing or maintaining that operational uh, legacy systems, that is a challenge that we are seeing in Australia and New Zealand that I think is very similar to what you're seeing in North America and Europe for that matter as well. Yeah, it's reminding me of a statistic that I saw fairly recently regarding public sector here in the US that something like 40% of the public sector workforce on the average is eligible for retirement, which means at any moment they could leave, right? And and out out the door walks that knowledge. And how do you how do you then operate? <laughs> how do you then do what you need to? Let's look at a couple of trends that we talk about a lot in the, in the podcast here, uh, experience management, service uh, integration management, SIAM. These are things that we continue to hear as being important. In fact, SIAM was supposed to fix all of our IT problems, right, right, Tom and Tony? But I think from 2019 on, I haven't read too much about this, the NZ market. Is, is, is SIAM dead? Has it gone that far? You know, there's a lot that's been going on that has been stealing the limelight from some trends like SIAM. So the skill shortage is one that people are grappling with. What's happened over the last 24 months, everything's been put on the back burner. We have the skill shortage going on and, you know, and all these kind of things. So I think what we had been seeing before the limelight was kind of redirected was that move back to SIAM. And I certainly think what's happening with the, you know, the average IT department over here is you know, the, the world's getting much more complex. IT is getting far more complicated. There's a lot more business-led IT initiatives. It's not that you can just keep it, you know, within the nice, tidy purview of the of the IT department. Then you have the skill shortage. Then you have, you know, these things coming up. So the average IT organization here, whether it's public or private sector, is definitely moving to that multi-vendor environment with higher expectations, higher expectations in terms of user experience. And, you know, the answer that a lot of CIOs are looking for is SIAM. And just to take a step back, you know, to me, the key aspect of SIAM is really this multi, you know, vendor approach where you you treat internal vendors and external uh, vendors or internal service providers and external service providers in the same way. That was something that a decade ago was gaining some ground in Australia. But frankly, most IT organizations didn't have that complex of an IT environment, and now they do. So I think the reason you may not be hearing so much about it is there are a few things that are grabbing the limelight. There's a few things that are taking the, you know, the attention of procurement leads and and CIOs. And by the way, there's a there's an acute shortage in procurement as well. So, you know, so so I think what's happening is there's a few trends that are being masked by you know, the bigger, immediate, more immediate problems. And I think one of those trends is, to Tom's point, is almost what I call stealthy SIAM or stealthy service integration management, a very narrow band of SIAM rather than the full-blown SIAM. And we have seen a couple of federal government agencies in the last year or so go to market with the full-blown traditional RFP around enterprise service management and SIAM and all the components. But to be honest, it's far more common for a lot of the uh, accounts I've seen where SIM is being introduced without it being really called SIM, although it really is SIM what they're asking for, particularly in areas, very visible areas like major incident management. They want the service provider to manage all the major incidents end to end 
to Tom's point, that means managing the internal delivery teams as well as all their vendors. So even though there's one case, Unisys won a, won a new client earlier this year, we are delivering traditional digital workplace services, service desk, but in the service management space, we are delivering major incident management across all the vendors, including their internal suppliers in that organization. That is Siam. Now, it's a very narrow band, a very niche band of Siam, but it's still the beginning of Siam. And you can see problem management coming along as part of that. You can then see the, the config management and the critical business services being built out from that. And that's typically how we see Siam growing. Not coming in as a big bang, but coming in as almost by stealth and then expanding or growing from there. One of the other things I'm seeing in service management generally is a much tighter integration between the, the major incident management and the escalation and comms management teams and the security operations center, the SOC teams. Much tighter correlation between those sort of activities. A lot of the processes would be exactly the same as if you're running a, a normal major incident. We're seeing a lot more interest in integrating more tightly the uh, ITIL or service management teams with the security management teams. I wonder if the uh, the same trend that you described here where SIAM is is actually even more important than ever in ANZ as, as well as the rest of the world is just not getting the noise because it's not getting the uh, the audience or the we're not hearing about it as much because of other hotter topics that are, that are going on right, right now in region, but it is still super important. And I'm wondering if the same thing might be happening with experience management. I mean, that's that is just, you know, half of my podcasts are dealing with employee experience management at XLAs, and it's it's super big in Europe and growing in the US. So I'm really curious, you know, gentlemen, how are you seeing experience management in ANZ? What I think is happening is the bigger picture is when, when COVID hit, we just shut the borders, you know, here in Australia. And essentially, in some ways, we went back to the get what you get and you like it. And the fact that we have a skill shortage going on, you know, at the same time, made that a, you know a bit worse but i think i think that was a temporary pause from my perspective there's no question that expectations are only going one way and you know again when we're dealing with even you know even state government organizations like the police who you wouldn't expect to be the most employee experience customer experience related people they have major programs in those areas so they want to talk about not just it service management they want to talk about enterprise service management they have questions about, you know, how do we implement XLAs, experience levels, how do we track that? And, you know, I can think of a dozen organizations now that have some form of push to digital experience, employee experience, customer experience, you know, in the wake of the pandemic, trying to get back on track with an initiative. And I think, Tom, you're spot on on that. I, I think I think Australianism was a bit behind Europe in this space. But in the last 12, 18 months, I've seen a lot of respond to a lot of RFPs where the XLAs are becoming ubiquitous. It, it's nearly always now. Two years ago, it was still a rarity to see that in an RFP. Now you're surprised if there's no reference to the holes, how you're going to support XLAs, how you're going to establish an experience management office, what's your protocols, what's your methodology, how do you deliver that, how do you integrate the tooling and the processes around that as part of the the whole customer or the whole digital experience. It's becoming a lot more common to see that in the RFPs. Let's see uh, the white papers and let's see the follow-on in the next couple of years on the success stories and the, the achievements of, of those those RFPs as, as they come to fruition. You're right, Tony. It's, it's almost like overnight, everybody's there, right? Everybody's at the same spot where they see it as a necessity. And, and maybe it is that you know, those expectations, right? Because, you know, again, those expectations, if, if we were back 
three years ago, you know, talking to organizations, they were sort of interested, but they they didn't really feel the pressure. But I think now everybody has seen these rising expectations from their employees, from their customers, and you know, and it and they've made the leap. So there's there's no question we're seeing that people's mindsets are there now. So we've talked about two key trends that you know globally have been important, but uh, in ANZ, it, it sounds like are also you're drawing a lot of attention. SIAM and EX or experience management, employee experience. Tony, I've heard you use an expression because you invented another acronym, SIAMX. So I'd like to connect. I, I think you're connecting the dots between SIAM and experience management. Can, can you shed some light on that? Yeah, sure. In Unisys, that is, we've deliberately came up with that term. I coined that term, SIAM-X. There's still some uh, discussion among several of us in Unisys who actually came up with the term to try and get <laughs> the, uh, the credit for it since we've seen it repeated or reported by analysts now, so we're all trying to take the credit. But putting that to one side for the moment, it is Unisys and it's our view of how to bring that together, how you can bake experience management and XLAs into the whole SIAM framework, or remember that you need to have that as part of the SIAM framework. That includes, as I mentioned before, the experience management office. It also means things like the experience governance board. You have service governance, typically service management, service governance. You have SIAM governance. You now have this XGB or experience governance board that needs to be factored in or integrated into this environment. It also helps people focus on the end-to-end view. What is the end user experience? What are the critical business services they're consuming? Not just on the desktop, but what are the critical applications or business services they're using? What are the components that make them up? All the classic things you need to put together to deliver an end-to-end SIAM experience across the whole digital workplace. So the Unisys SIAM framework was deliberately expanded to be SIAM-X to focus or draw attention to this uh, experience management component or element that's important, just like the SLA frameworks, the business service mappings, the config management, or all of the, the service intelligence dashboard, they're all critical elements of a SIAM uh, framework, but the experience management is another critical element, another another element in the mix as part of SIAM-X. You know, as you've described that, it just reminded me of you know something that our XMO shared with, with us just recently about an actual client where the the XMO that is watching XLAs and they're primarily focused on digital workplace experience. But the thing is, if we're collecting employee experience and we're hearing how what they're feeling about their technology, it's not just the workplace; it's the cloud. You know, it's other towers. And so the, the XMO is able to, even though they're only responsible for the digital workplace, they were able to collect experience data, hand it over to the SIAM organization, and say, "Hey." We've got actual data here that says that security thing that, that, you know, that team just deployed is actually causing a real problem for, you know, our sales force. And that needs to be addressed. Then now the SIAM organization has a hammer to go and whack on security and say, yeah, you need to fix that. So it just occurred to me how, how this could actually work, that SIAMX is actually a real thing. You're spot on. It's like we saw XLAs grow from the, the end user digital workplace experience and we use our laptops for a purpose. We sat there each day using applications or critical business services that go well beyond what's in our immediate environment. And it's like measuring that whole end-to-end. We've had uh, application performance monitoring, those sort of capabilities for some time. Response times are acceptable when you're trying to access a critical application. But the whole sentiment analysis, the whole experience of the end user now is being measured truly end-to-end. And Syme's helping to take it to that stage. It, you know, it's funny how how valuable these you know these conversations are because I think, you know, Weston, when you were talking about you know the, the, you sort of pulling it all together, I think one of the utilities we're working with right now has exactly the you know has come to this realization for exactly the kind of reasons you were talking about, Weston, which is 
historically what they've done is they've put in place you know dozens of agreements with technology vendors they've had really solid SLAs and really solid measures but what they're what they're finding is that focus on business outcomes just isn't happening you know and and when you when you look at it in isolation they're doing everything right when you look at it together it's falling down and it's because you know they don't have that end to end view and they don't have all the interdependencies mapped out and and how do you measure those outcomes right it's very difficult to start uh measuring those business outcomes until you get to customer experience or employee experience then suddenly the outcomes start becoming a lot easier to measure because you know the the things that people are you know either satisfied or dissatisfied is about an outcome there it's either an employee outcome or something they're trying to do in the in the business so it's again maybe there's more to that stealth <laughs> tony than you know than, than you were originally saying because i think that's i think that's what we're saying where you know suddenly people are jumping to the experience and they're trying and they're trying to say well that you know that's um, that we need to measure that now but that may be becoming the most important measure of all because it's got that uh, direct link to outcomes where a lot of the other traditional SLAs don't unfortunately you know then and then then you start thinking about the fact that they've been doing these contracts in isolation and managing them differently and okay well starting to manage them together now we're getting back into the SIAM discussion and SIAM is been around a while, right? Uh, experience management is all pretty new. We're still figuring it out, but I am seeing some levels of maturity. There's these, uh, these aha moments that enterprises have when they realize that after they've had XLAs for a while, they realize that they're not set it and forget it. It's not like an SLA that you put into a contract you keep for five years. We've got some SLAs that we haven't changed in 20 years, right? But an XLA for example, I'm thinking of a, of US, uh, a customer where they were involved with a merger and that XLA was measuring the experience of two groups, company A and company B as they come together to form a brand new company and we're looking at the experience parity between them. That XLA only needs to continue to be in existence and measuring while the merger is taking place. You know, so yes. 18 months out, 24 months, you know, we don't need that anymore and that's when we realized there was a need for an experience governance board uh, uh, that we never had for SLAs that we do need for our XLAs. And I'm just wondering if that, to me, that's a sign of um, when an enterprise asks about that, they have gone to a level of maturity. Uh, we're just beginning to see that in US and North America and in, and in Europe. And I'm wondering, you know, are you seeing that in, in ANZ region as well? I would say definitely Western. I think those those transient, let's call them transient XLAs, a good example in uh, state and federal government is what's called the machinery government. We have a lot of government agencies being combined, merged, broken up, restructured. There's a lot of those sort of changes where you would have those sort of experiences. The example you just gave, where you, for a 12, 18 month period, you probably want to measure certain XLAs around that experience as the agencies brought together or, or split up, but then they become not relevant after that. They would change. And so it is a continual evolution or evolving of those XLAs, hence hence that need for that experience governance board. And you raise a good point. There was, there was never an SLA governance board in the normal service governance structure, but there is a need for an XGB in the same envir environments we have today. Well, I think we've come to the tough part of the uh, podcast here. Uh, I'd like to conclude with some, some predictions, uh, ask you to look into the future. Imagine it's December 2024. Now we're looking back. What are a couple of things that the most successful enterprises or government agencies in the ANZ region will have done? So maybe Tom, uh, you can start things off for us. 
I think thankfully we've reached that, you know, watershed moment where people realize that they can't just cruise with the same, you know, IT practices that they've done for, you know, the last 20 years. They have to get on the ball as it relates to service management. They need certainly to get on the ball in terms of security and and, you know, maybe that's the the catalyst that's making the big difference here. But I do think that really successful organizations here will start for the most part getting better at managing service providers rather than either doing themselves or doing things with you know on on a on a one-off basis so i do think that we're already seeing some of the um more successful organizations adopting siam i love the idea tony of siam x i'll I'll certainly give you credit for it because (laughs) until until i started speaking with you I, i hadn't uh I hadn't heard of it, but I think I, you know, I think we're we're already there in terms of experience management. We're already there in terms of knowing we need to take a different approach to managing multi-vendor relationships. We know we're already there in terms of having to manage the digital world and and you know and, and change our internal IT departments from the traditional SDLC, you know, system development lifecycle kind of organizations to DevSecOps, and I, th- I think that's where we're seeing people really make the change, and 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 I think that's where it's going to be. Weston is is you know the the really successful organizations are going to need to realize they need to get on the ball in the way they manage their IT organizations, and and I think you know a big part of that is going to be Siam, Siamx, Siam by Stealth, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. All of those things coming together. We're definitely seeing all the components of that right now. Well, I'd say the successful enterprises, we look back, if we can, looking back at the end of next year, would have established those SIAM frameworks, whether the SIAMX, which is what Unisys would like, of course, but they would establish these SIAM frameworks, will have onboarded their vendors and their internal teams into those frameworks, and then be fully operating them with the evolution of their XLAs. That's what success, that's what I think good would look like. The framework's established, it's operating, it's delivering business value, and they're onboarding and offboarding vendors as, as their business needs them. Well, Tom and, and Tony, if our listeners have heard something here that they'd like to follow up with you on, I know we've covered a lot of great topics here, really digging into SIAM and experience management and what's new and unique about the ANZ region. Uh, uh, Tom, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, I mean, the simplest way is my email, tom.riley, and that's R-E-I-L-L-Y, at beaconfieldpartners, all one word, dot com, or LinkedIn. LinkedIn is, you know, it's probably an even better way to not only get in touch, but to, you know, stay in touch. I'm uh, I'm in there as, as Tom Riley at Beaconfield in, uh, in LinkedIn. Excellent. And Tony, how about you? Pretty much the same. My email is anthony.parsons at unisys.com. Or like Tom, I'm a big uh, proponent and user of LinkedIn. My LinkedIn profile is Tony Parsons. Excellent. Well, Tom Riley of Beaconfield Partners and Tony Parsons of Unisys, I've really enjoyed this discussion. It's it's great for me to get a better view of what's going on down under. Thank you both for sharing your insights today. Oh, that was great. Yeah, that was great to, great to, uh, great to be here. As you can hear, we're both passionate about this. Yeah, it was great, great having this discussion with you, Weston. Well, you've been listening to a special edition of the Digital Workplace Deep Dive that focuses on trends down under. I'm your host, Weston Morris. Thanks for listening. <laughs>